The number of responsibilities and opportunities involved when starting a business or becoming a leader within an organization can overwhelm the best of us. It certainly overwhelms David and Matthew. Join the two hosts as they interview successful leaders about their journey to leadership, including victories, failures, and realizations. This is Like It's Your Job, a podcast from TSG Publishing. Hello again, and welcome to another episode of Like It's Your Job. I'm one of your hosts, David Shields. And I'm Matt Shields. And today we have a, uh, a personal friend and a great guy with a lot of things to share, E.J. Williams. Um, he's president of Indiana Auto Care, uh, which is a Jiffy Lube franchisee. He is an engineer turned businessman with experience in high tech product development, business optimization, and retail franchise operations. His engineering expertise includes electric vehicle design and embedded systems development. As an engineer at Tesla, EJ developed code that runs in the Model S powertrains. And through his experience at Mark Cuban companies, EJ became well-versed in business and startup strategy. He co-founded Radical Transport and built the Move Hoverboard. As an entrepreneur at heart, Evan believes the most impact can be made in startups and fast-paced teams. He strives to find every opportunity to connect technical ability, strong leadership, and great ideas to make the next big thing. Welcome, EJ. Hi, guys. Happy to be here. Yeah, thanks for coming. Um, today, we're talking about something I know you, lot, you know a lot about, um, how to select an industry and a business model. I know that your uh, next project, uh, you've, had a, you've had a great career, and I know that your next product is um, a franchise. So tell us a little bit about how you got into that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so it is a interesting story. Uh, you know, all the people that have known me through my life and uh, through my various internships and jobs, um, you know, they hear, oh, wait, EJ's doing what now? Uh, it's a definitely a, a pivot, you could say, um, you know, with my engineering background. But, you know, I, one thing I, that we're going to get across in this episode today is, you know, just kind of taking advantage of the opportunities that you have. And this opportunity came across uh, my wife and I, and we had to take it. Um, but as you as you saw with, through that that intro, uh, you know my background is in engineering and startups, uh, more more of the I, I guess you could call it glamorous route, the glamorous jobs. And uh, now you know we switch to franchises and oil changes. Uh, you know, so uh, it's from electric vehicles to oil changes, electric vehicles <laughs> to oil changes, exactly. Yeah, I remember sitting at, at Mark Cuban Company's offices and uh, watching you tinker for hours and hours on end. Uh, that's that's where we got to know each other, as you know, is at Mark Cuban Company's, um, and you and and two other guys just just tinkering away, building building the next hoverboard. Oh yeah, I mean that was an experience like none other. Uh, to, to kind of dig into that a little bit, uh, I graduated uh, Purdue with an electrical engineering degree, uh, minor in entrepreneurship. And I had all these opportunities to, you know, go do this, go do that. And I just kind of thought, you know, I don't think I'll be happy at those jobs. So um, I probably, you know, from when my peers started committing to jobs uh, to, you know, when I finally did get a job, you know, that was probably a year. You know, all my friends were going off. We, I graduated, decided to travel Europe for a few months and still came home and said, you know, I'm going to wait for the right thing. I'm waiting out. And, I, you know, I had a lot of feelers out there with what I was going to do. Uh, and then it, it paid off. Uh, and that is when uh, Mark Cuban came calling and said, hey, you want to move to Dallas and uh, make this hoverboard for me? And I said, wow, it, it paid off. <laughs> Wait, now it paid off. So I moved to Dallas and uh, started uh, making a hoverboard for him. And it was just myself as the electrical engineer and another uh, guy about my age uh, doing the mechanical side. Just two of us. It was crazy. 
lots of tools I didn't even know exist go into <laughs> making hoverboards. Yeah, well, <clears throat> you know, anyone can probably make something that feels like a two-wheeled hoverboard. And by the way, uh, anyone listening to this uh, probably views the two-wheeled hoverboard as a kid's toy. Uh, I want to clarify, when we started, it was actually uh, a, not well-known yet, and it was a cool, high-tech product. <laughs> it became known as a, a fad and a kid's toy mm-hmm. uh, throughout our, our developing. But, um, you know, anyone can make kind of something like that. But what's interesting is when you're making uh, something for market, you have to take all your costs into account. So we can't just plug in a $100 motor controller and say, all right, good to go. You know, we need to make our own motor controller that is $5 cost to us. So uh, making all the subsystems of the of the hoverboard was really where the job was uh, and then making it work right and get ready to, you know, potentially build thousands of them. And the move hoverboard was sturdy. I mean, it was one solid piece of, I think it was cast aluminum, but you'll know better than me. And it weighed, you know, 25 pounds, 30 pounds. It wasn't like those flimsy, you know, plastic toys that, that people saw. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So uh, <clears throat> solid cast aluminum uh, outer shell. And the big difference actually with our, our hoverboard was it was a solid platform. So if you're familiar with the product, there is a swivel in the middle. And that is essential to a cliche hoverboard. What it is, is when one side goes forward, that side moves forward. And that's how you turn. But when it's a solid platform, the sides are the same. Uh, so what we did is we actually read the strain in the metal from the force of as if you were trying to tilt that side forward. And um, so we we definitely were different than anything else on the market. There still isn't anything like that on the market. Um, and actually through that design, we were able to get around all the patents that existed on the hoverboard. So that was kind of our, our niche. But, you know, a little side effect of how we did that was the board rode completely different than anything anyone's ever ridden because it was weight based. You know, you turned based on where you were kind of standing and where your weight was. So it felt a lot more yeah, like... it was not super easy to ride. <laughs> it was a learning curve. <laughs> it was a learning curve. But there was a learning curve with all hoverboards. But this one felt a lot more like, oh, yeah, you had the ones where uh, I had a rope hanging from the ceiling, literally a rope hanging from the ceiling. That's exactly And that right. was what you'd hold on to with your right hand and have a helmet on because you're going to be using that rope at some point. <laughs> I, uh, I always told people I work with mad scientists, just uh, just you and Nick over there, you know, light and small fires on purpose to, to make sure that things can get <laughs> welded, welded into the right place and... Most of the fires came in my electric vehicle, electric go-kart experience. We did evacuate a building at Purdue one time. Uh, personally, you know, caused a little fire, used a little fire extinguisher, and then had to pull a, a little fire alarm. <laughs> 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 then the little fire truck showed up. But, you know, it's just part of the job. Little fire alarm, little fire extinguisher, little fire truck. Doesn't seem like a big deal at all. No, nah, no, nah, it's not a big deal. That's good. Well, very excited to have you on the show today. As David mentioned, we're going to be talking about how to select an industry and business model. And before we jump into before we jump into that conversation, I do want to read the quote of the show today that you provided for us, and that is persist, pivot or concede. It's up to us, our choice every time. And that's by Matthew McConaughey. So tell us a little bit about why you chose this quote, what it means to you, how it affects your how it affects your daily life. Yeah, yeah. So anyone hasn't heard of that book by Matthew McConaughey, I highly recommend. Great book. I call him uh, a philosophical... right? It just came out. It just came out. Yeah. You know, 2021, maybe late 2020 just came out. Um, But I call him a philosophical adventurer uh, with some crazy, crazy stories. So anyway, one of of his quotes in this was that persist, pivot, or concede. It's up to us. 
And I realized, you know, through all of my endeavors, you have to keep asking yourself that, you know, what, you know, am I going to persist in this? Am I going to, do I need to pivot? Or, you know, should we just throw in the towel and move on to the next thing? And, you know, that can apply to high level concepts like your entire job, right? (laughs) Or, you know, you can apply it to small tasks uh, within the job. You know, do I persist in trying to finish this task? Do I pivot uh, or I concede and say, let's move on to the next one? Um, You know, it's, it's it's a phrase and a mindset that I think is really important. I know my wife will be listening to this soon. And this is <laughs> this is uh, a quote that I try to get her to think about, uh, not directly, but more in, you know, whatever she takes on. It's like, OK, you know, are we going to keep doing this and, uh, you know, put our heart into it or are we going to go on to the next thing? Um, and I don't it's, it's a mindset that I like to keep. And one, one of my friends actually called me ruthlessly pragmatic. Uh, and I, I laughed and said, you know, that may sound like an insult to some people, but uh, I love that. And I'm going to engineer. Uh, yeah, I guess most engineers would be that way. But, you know, I guess this phrase kind of has to do with that ruthless pragmatism because, you know, let's let's not dwell on something that's not moving us forward. Let's let's decide one of these three and do it. Which of the three do you think you choose most often? Do you or do you persevere, pivot or concede? Do you persist, pivot or concede? Well, I mean, on the high level, you know, we were just talking about my internship um, at Tesla and then uh, the Mark Cuban uh, startup. I mean, I could call it a pivot in my career, uh, but I mean, some would say concede from a level of, uh, you know, didn't want to work at Tesla. You know, we we eventually did throw in the towel with the startup due to patent issues. Uh, Product worked just fine. Um, But I mean, I like to say, you know, on a regular basis uh, with my everyday tasks or my monthly goals, you know, I'm persisting or pivot, then persist. Um, I think most of us, most of us do that, but it is smart to know when to concede too. Yeah, no, you, you definitely feel like a pivot, a pivot guy. uh, (laughs) Having gotten to know you, there's always a solution to the challenge. There's kind of a gray area between pivot and concede, right? Are you conceding to one starting something (laughs) else or are you, I mean, I guess you could just brand it as a pivot, but you know, some would call it a concede. (laughs) Yeah, that's true. And, you know, EJ, a big theme that we like to focus on um, in the podcasts and kind of what we do on a daily basis is uh, is ownership. And it's not necessarily ownership of stuff like a business or assets or the patent for a hoverboard. It's ownership of results and the process. And what I like about your quote is it's a uh, it's a good way to, to put some detail into what that means. Right. I mean, you have the choice. You own that choice every time. And and you. Uh, if you're if you're trying to take ownership over results or a goal, then those are your only three options. Um, and the good news is it's all up to you. Exactly. Great. Well, tell me a little bit about how to identify uh, or how you identify yourself, um, and maybe for our listeners, how they can identify themselves as the business owner type. I did not realize that you know a business owner was something to strive for. I know you know you're in school, no one's saying, oh, that can be a thing. You know, everything that you hear about is a job. When I was figuring out my career, I, you know, I thought, well, actually, I'll go back to my first internship. I worked on electric um, hybrid buses at a pretty, it was a really good internship. Um, You know, a lot of people strive for it. And I uh, didn't really ring with me. I was definitely was not challenged. There was not really much design going on. Uh, But, you know, it, 
it went well. You know, I think they really uh, got a lot of value from the work I provided. Uh, but I remember my supervisor said, I think, you know, I think you'd be better working at a place like Tesla. <laughs> and that's funny because the next summer I was working at Tesla. <laughs> I remember uh, real quickly, I'll tell this, but there were job fairs and um, I remember I got offered a pretty good like leadership, rotational engineering, throwing all these fancy words. I was offered it by Siemens and I asked, okay, that's great, but can you send me to Silicon Valley? And they said, no. (laughs) So I sadly turned them down and uh, went many more months without committing and things fell in my lap. I could have gone to a startup in Boston on uh, hybrid uh, buses, like a turnkey conversion for for like UPS trucks could have gone uh, to San Diego and worked on a, a world endurance like Le Mans uh, race team even though that wasn't electric there they I won't get into that but uh, I finally got the offer from Tesla and went out there in 2014 um, to work on their powertrain modeling design team so I finally did get that experience and I guess to continue with the point here even the engineer at Tesla wasn't a good role for me. You know, I needed more. I couldn't just be looking at engineering. I needed to be looking at big picture things. And I finally got that with uh, the startup at Mark Cuban. You know, I got the full, I got to be VP of engineering. So, you know, now I'm pretty high level and looking at the full picture of engineering, but you know what I'm missing? I'm missing the business side of things. So if you're the business owner type, it's okay to realize that you want to look at everything. It's okay that, you know, um, you're not satisfied in one role in a company. I wish someone had told me that because there's a lot of frustrating. It's like, you know, what's wrong with me? You know, why, why is a, why, me where Tesla was a dream job for so many people. Why was I not satisfied there? And then the startup, that was a, that was, I mean, that was a good job. I enjoyed it. But once again, I had no equity in it. I was not a partner. Um, you know, I needed something from a high level ownership perspective. And uh, I finally got that with uh, what I'm doing now, which I started three years ago. So I'm three years into um, kind of, the, I'm, I would say I'm actually in a, a business owner apprenticeship right now. And we're just doing the, the uh, sale, we're getting the sale done to become the true business owner uh, here soon. Yeah, but you've been operating as a as an owner in many respects for, for at least a year or so now. Yeah. Yeah, and it's no secret. Uh, the opportunity actually is with the, the family business. My wife's um, father he uh, he has the fourteen Jiffy Lubes, and we can. That's a good story. We'll get into that later. But you know, coming in here, uh, he basically has the enjoyment of retirement. He's hired really talented people underneath him uh, to run everything. And then you know, I came in with no uh, job assignment, just saying, "All right, you know, make more money. That's it." <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, the first year may have been more like a consultant role, kind of looking at how things are working. Um, and then, you know, obviously finding uh, the low hanging fruit to cut costs and increase revenue. Uh, but yeah, in the last year and a half to two years, um, it's kind of been, you know, we talk five, 10 times a day, but, you know, I'm kind of pulling the trigger on on all the uh, strings for the company. So it can appear to be difficult to start a business coming out of university, to your point, especially when job fairs are geared towards finding employment and not necessarily starting a job or excuse me, starting a company. So um, you noticed as you were working within these organizations should have been dream jobs on paper. You still weren't being challenged in multiple different ways. You had your defined roles and responsibilities and you wanted to do more within the business. You wanted to both 
uh, you know, code pieces of software and also work with a uh, product design team to figure out the hardware and um, deal with the finance team to figure out how to capital properly capitalize the company. So you, you wanted that broader scope of work. And that really is what is entailed in business ownership. You are every hat to everybody because you're the first call typically uh, from every department. Yeah, yeah, that's well said. There was one defining moment. I was pretty young uh, when I was choosing colleges. I toured MIT and uh, the tour guide uh, said to me that really, really stuck with me. Uh, what he said to the group, he said, here at MIT, we are not producing job takers. We are producing job makers, people who will make jobs for other people to take. And I use that throughout my, I use that mindset, you know, throughout my time at Purdue. And um, I think that really, you know, if you, if you're the business owner type, that really rings with you, you know, you don't want to be, you know, you don't want to go onto a team and say, okay, I'm filling this role. Whenever I would join a team, it's more of, here's what I can bring to the table. Do you want me to join you to help with the overall success of everything? You know, I'm not going to look at a job posting and apply for this job posting to fill this role. You know, I'm going to say, here are my talents. Uh, do you think this is a good fit? And, you know, let's let's all work together to, you know, advance the, the whole endeavor um, rather than me sit down and just code something out for one purpose. So it sounds like that mindset, EJ, is, is more about focusing on the bigger picture, right? Uh, the business mm -hmm. owner type mindset is more uh, more about focusing on the bigger picture. And there are certainly a lot of tasks that have to be done. But the, one of the themes that I'm hearing from your kind of discussion is teamwork. Surrounding yourself with good people is the only way to amplify whatever experience, expertise, or to amplify the results that you're going to get just in general. Yeah, yeah. Um, kind of hitting on that leader or that that team perspective, uh, and everyone has their own leadership style. But um, I'm realizing my leadership style is definitely one that says, "Hey, we're we're working together." You know, I'm not going to say you work for me. I'm going to say you work with me. You know, we're working together, and um, you know, I usually uh, present you know why we're doing a lot of the things we're doing, and most of the time I can get people's understanding and they're on board. You know, I think when people understand the why behind important decisions, uh, a they remember it more. <laughs> you know, they remember the decision, and b um, you know they'll they'll fulfill the their goals more wholeheartedly because they know why they're doing it. So that's how we identify, or that's how you identify yourself as a business owner type. You know, what advice would you give to yourself uh, as a recent undergrad to help, you know, help them along the journey? You know, what can they do or what could you have done then to be a business owner later? What can people do now to be a business owner later? Yeah, yeah. So there's a lot of ways to take this answer. Well, first off, I, I do want to clarify that most young entrepreneur-like people view their only option as a business owner to be the glamorous tech startup. Uh, and maybe that was just people I was around, but I think that's the more visible, that's the, the thing you hear about more. And that's certainly the, gets a lot more PR. Yeah, it certainly gets a lot more PR. And, you know, I, I did that, you know, down in Dallas. And I guess what I would say is startup, like a true startup is a long shot it's a moonshot it's it's a it's a very low likelihood of being successful but 
if it is successful, you make a lot of money, right? Well, there's a middle ground uh, and it's called, you know, small business ownership uh, or, you know, franchises, which we'll get into, you know, the middle ground is here where, okay, you've got a really good likelihood of being successful, but you're going to make, you know, a good wage or, you know, a good amount of profit. And, you know, the trick to that is realizing, you know, now we're talking about okay, you've got something that was successful with one or two Jiffy Lubes. Now let's make it four, let's make it five, let's make it six. So you copy and paste this successful um, model and, you know, eventually you're making a good amount of wealth, but you'll never, you know, if, if you get that million or that one in a million startup idea and it's actually successful, you're obviously going to do great for yourself. But what I would say to myself when I was younger is be okay with something less glamorous, but more likely to succeed. And on that idea, actually, I would say, you know, from what I've seen successful uh, in terms of like B2B businesses, uh, B2B mostly, maybe B2C a ton or maybe B2C a little bit. But what I see as most successful is if it's less glamorous, it's more likely to be successful. And it's if it's something that you've never really heard about or is so niche, then Heck, invest in that right away because the reason it's niche and the reason it's not glamorous is because A, someone probably doesn't want to do it or B, it's niche because this person had this idea when they were in the industry and they found a niche need in that industry and they're going to make a lot of money. So um, I guess I've kind of rambled there a little bit, but um, yeah, I mean, that's that's the advice I would give myself. Some of the best businesses that we've gotten a chance to look at are, you know, fastener distribution companies. They make nuts, bolts, screws, clamps. They're just great, steady businesses uh, in a mature industry that always has room for for other, you know, competitors, other entrants into the marketplace. Um, And it's not going to get you on Forbes. It's not going, you're not going to be on, you know, Crunchbase right with your latest series C round at 350 million, but uh, they are really good businesses and they're necessary, right? They're, they're fundamental to the economy. Definitely. Definitely. And I would say me coming out of college, you know, I was running a million miles an hour, like full speed ahead on that tech startup success. Like I can, why not? I, you know, I know Mark Cuban, so I can be Mark Cuban, that kind of mindset. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) A lot of people think that. Right. Right. So um, I, I, I got to give credit to my wife who uh, made me realize, you know, it's OK if I'm not a billionaire in my life. <laughs> Figure out other ways. You know, it's not about the money. It's more about the I want, you know, career success. Um, and, you know, there are other ways to be successful in life. And, you know, personally, so, you know, I'm, I'm on a route right now. Well, I, you know, my wife will be very happy career wise. And what business ownership does give you a lot of is, yes, you hold risk, but you have a lot of flexibility um, and free time to, to go to look at other ventures. Um, and, you know, I'm very, very tapped into um, Purdue still. I live, uh, you know, they're just an hour north of Indianapolis where I live. And so, you know, I'm their sailing coach. <laughs> you know, I'm the coach of the sailing team at Purdue. Uh, I still help out with Purdue's electric go-kart team. I really, really plan to uh, use my free time to satisfy my engineering uh, interests and um, you know that 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 drive that let me that led me to tech startups is still there, and I just satisfy it through um, you know hobbies or I don't want to say hobbies, but um, you know extracurriculars uh, besides my career. Well, you know the reality is hard work is is uh, rarely glamorous, right? And uh, 
I like uh, that theme that you kind of hit on about um, about success in a, in a business owner in a traditional startup um, may not be the most glamorous of industries, but it certainly has a draw for you, right? So it may not be, it may not seem glamorous, but it's something that you know and identify with, and um, you know has to bring out some kind of passion. Uh, and I'm curious, once you kind of identify that, in terms of of uh, what young people can do now to get that business owner mindset. What role does mentorship play in general? Yeah. Well, I could talk on mentorship for a long time. You know, I got to where I am from seeking mentors, listening to mentors and, uh, you know, taking their advice and putting it to action. And now I, I try to find mentees uh, that I can mentor. You know, that's the best way to learn. You know, I think sharing knowledge down to the next generation uh, or the next person who's going to fill your role, um, that is the best way to, to, to do things. And actually, let me, let me touch a little bit back on actionable items that, you know, if you want to be a business owner, what can you do now? What's an actionable item? Because I, I had answered before at a pretty high level. Well, let, so let me say this. Um, one, network a ton, obviously. You know, you got to see what opportunities are out there. You know, my, my internship at Tesla literally came from, uh, I heard they, they didn't come to the traditional career fair. They secretly came, just one uh, alumni of Purdue who worked at Tesla secretly came. And I heard in the ECE building, someone say, oh, this guy from Tesla is coming. And I said, I need to find him. And I found him. And I wowed him with some fancy words and showed him my fancy electric go-karts and battery packs and got <laughs> it. But I, the reason I got that Tesla internship was because I was out and about listening, you never know when it's going to come. I guess serendipity is the word, right? I, I love the idea behind serendipity. And I have this phrase, I guess, maybe this is one actionable item. And I love this phrase. If I can get it tattooed on me, maybe I will. Throughout my life, I create forced serendipity. I, <laughs> I force serendipitous moments, which is kind of uh, oxymoronic or hypocritical. But uh, if you find yourself, if you make yourself just walk around or like go to different events, you know, get off the couch, go to these networking events. I mean, you're forcing yourself to go to these events. And then you will find your serendipitous moment where you meet someone who eventually gets you connected to your next job. You know, you never know when that's going to come. Uh, so you really got to uh, get yourself out there to find opportunities. Uh, that's that's number one. Uh, number two, you know, I've got a I've got a small list here. If you realize that okay, tech, let's skip the tech startup route because you know it's a low low chance of being successful. You know what? Let's instead go to you know a business ownership route. The real way that you can do this is you need to prove yourself to someone with capital. You need to prove yourself to someone with money uh, who will fund you because you don't have any money. <laughs> so you know how are you going to buy a business, right? On the idea of mentorship, um, you know one of the greatest things I've had in my current role is um, you know my father in law who turned out to be an amazing mentor. Um, you know, he's. I'm learning something from him every day in regards to running a business, to finance. Uh, you know, what are the good decisions? You know, you ha you have a decision to make. You know, what are the factors that should be considered, and how do you make that decision? Um, and he's been absolutely amazing at teaching me how to do that. Uh, throughout my previous roles, you know, I've kind of been searching for that mentor. You know, I wish I wish I had that down in Dallas a little bit more, at least on the full picture side. And, you know, I think that's something that I finally found uh, here in this uh, franchisee opportunity uh, where the person that I'm learning from, once again, I, I call it a business apprenticeship is what I'm in. And, um, you know, being an apprentice means you're learning from your mentor. And uh, he's had, you know, invaluable uh, knowledge passed on to me that, you know, I'll hopefully pass on to someone else down the road. 
Yeah, and I think you're already probably doing that, passing knowledge down without even knowing it, just being so involved in Purdue's, Purdue's events and extracurriculars. One goal of mine right now is to, uh, you know, find someone to bring in and, you know, kind of teach that business side um, and offload maybe some of my business uh, responsibilities uh, so I can start thinking, you know, bigger picture. So, yeah, I mean, I'm, hey, if anyone's in Indiana out there, reach out to me. I'm always looking to meet new people and take on, you know. <laughs> Staying uh, stay true to the networking model right at the top of this section. That's funny. Oh, yeah, of course. So, EJ. You know, we've, we've talked a lot today about your some of the things that have made you successful, the career choices you've made, uh, kind of getting out there, seeking opportunities, um, seeking opportunities and um, identifying mentorship. So let's get into some of the things you've learned. One of the questions you wanted to get into specifically were kind of some of the opportunities that franchises themselves provide aspiring business owners. Uh, do you want to give us a little bit of background about where franchises came from? Yeah, yeah. So actually, I'll kill two birds with one stone uh, here and give you the background of uh, Doug Terrell, my father-in-law. So when he was young, he, he didn't have anything. And um, he was working hard. And this this guy with money took a liking to him and said, hey, I'll give you a chance. Um, and he had his own car wash that, that worked well. But then they stumbled on this is the 70s. They stumbled on the idea of quick oil changes, something that you can just get done. And they, they made it. They, uh, they made McQuicks in, in the Midwest. And they realized this is such a good idea that they can't scale it fast enough. So they took their idea of Quick Lube, you know, the, what became the Quick Lube industry, and they franchised it. They became the franchisor uh, of Quick Lubes in the Midwest uh, called McQuicks. And uh, I think at one point they had 150, maybe 180 stores around Indiana, Michigan, Ohio, and the Midwest in general. And, um, you know, that was a perfect example of something that, you know, they, they found it, you know, at the same time, Jiffy Lube, the brand of Jiffy Lube was starting up in Utah, right? So it was kind of regional. Uh, people were inventing or discovering this industry, uh, regionally, and they just happened to be the ones to find it in the Midwest. And, uh, it was such a hot, popular idea that they had to franchise it in order to get it out there fast enough. So what that means is, hey, you know, we've got this idea and we've got this brand that people recognize. And uh, oh, by the way, we've got um, all this equipment that we know you'll need. You don't know that you need it yet, but we know you need it. And so we've got this whole portfolio is turnkey solution of equipment and experience. And you can buy this for, you know, a fixed upfront uh, franchisee fee just to start and then usually you know royalties and purchase agreements but basically that is what the franchise model is all about uh, it's about you know okay I've packaged up this idea of a business and I'm putting it out there for anyone with capital to start it and interest in starting it and obviously motivation to do it uh, you can you can buy in and you know we kind of become partners that's the franchisor franchisee relationship. Yeah, so it, it, just to, to touch on that, the, the franchise model tends to be so successful. That's why you see so many nationwide brands that franchise because the franchisor can solve, you know, a, a majority of a business owner's challenges just through experience and pass that knowledge down, that information down to, to the franchisee and just say, hey, you know, you don't have to worry about what point of sale system you're going to put in your stores. You don't have to worry about creating a logo. You don't need to know what kind of car lift you need in the Jiffy Loop. We've solved all of that. And by the way, we've also 
we'll show you which vendor to buy it from, which supplier to buy all of this from. So you need to ensure that your locations provide great customer service, that you have great marketing materials for your region, um, that you can run an efficient oil change and actually hit that five minute, that quick service oil change, right? So it, it takes the, the problems that typically arise when you make a startup and it uh, lowers the universe of challenges that, mm -hmm. uh, that business owners have. Yeah, you hit it on the head there. Uh, and let's dig into a little bit more of why franchises are so successful. Why do you see so many franchises across the US? Let's look at it from the customer perspective. Uh, from the customer's perspective, you know, they're choosing, let's say, where to eat. And you may see Joe's Cafe. Uh, you don't know what they sell there. You don't know the prices. You don't know if you're going to like it. You don't know the quality. Uh, but then you see, uh, I don't know, Chipotle. Uh, you know the prices, you know the quality, you know what the options are. So I think franchises are super popular from a customer perspective because us Americans, we're, we don't want to be surprised. I don't think we're very adventurous uh, when it comes to <laughs> our lunches. Let's say that. it doesn't. We're not very adventurous when it comes to our lunches. We want to get it done, get it done quick. Uh, and not go, you know, have to earn, have a bad experience at a place we didn't know. Um, so, you know, the franchise model is one that customers know exactly the experience that they will be receiving ideally, right? If they're a good, if they're a good franchise operator, all the customers should be receiving the exact same uh, experience, which they know that they will like. Yeah, that's a great point. And, and that is really why, uh, you know, in, in many ways, I think people go the franchisee route is, um, you know, we'll, we'll buy into this franchise brand and uh, they, they solve a lot of the individual challenges, the kind of the tisky-tasky challenges. And I can focus on vision for my company and uh, delivering great customer experience, great customer service. So why, is that, why did you specifically get into get into the franchise model as a business owner. Yeah, well, I mean, I wouldn't say I woke up one day and said I'm getting into franchises. <laughs> so <laughs> that is more along the lines of, you know, take advantage of the opportunities that come in front of you and the opportunity was in franchises. And now looking back, you know, I'm saying, okay, this is actually really great. <laughs> so if someone is looking for the next step in their lives, um, or, you know, let's say you have a lot of cash from a buyout or you got a golden parachute or something and you decide what you want to do next in your semi-retirement, uh, you know, franchises are a good option. Um, you know, that's me looking back because I took this route, but I wouldn't say I woke up one day, you know, no one said, Oh, look into franchises. They're great. <laughs> um, you know, that's, that's just me having been in it saying that now as a franchisee, how is the relationship with the franchisor unique to uh, un un like a unique part of the business model? Yeah, yeah. So, um, I mean, obviously, the famous one is McDonald's, and then there's Jiffy Lube. Jiffy Lube, if you didn't know, is owned by Shell. So that's our parent company, which is obviously huge. It's a distribution channel for Shell. They just they, they push all their oil down. It was a brilliant purchase on Shell's part because now they have uh, centers that have to use their oils, right? The, the relationship that Shell has with us, I can tell you, is it's it's one of the more hands-off relationships, which is great. Uh, I think that's because Shell came to the table uh, late in the game. I think a lot there were a lot of operators that are much that have been around for decades before Shell bought them. Um, so that may be why it's it's more hands-off. But when I say it's hands-off. You know they have guidelines. They have uh, 
you know, certain things you must abide by and certain services and, 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 uh, offerings, but, you know, we have a lot of flexibility to, uh, you know, tweak the customer experience and what we offer, uh, than most other, uh, franchises, you know, McDonald's actually, I, I will say one thing, uh, it all comes down to who owns the real estate. Uh, who owns the real estate has the ultimate say of what's going to happen to the operation. Obviously, leases are in place, but you know, Doug, uh, you know, our operation, we own over half of the real estate, and uh, that's I mean, that's great for many reasons. But I'll, I'll, I'll say this: McDonald's. One key reason why I think McDonald's are always up to date, look very, very good, look very, very clean, you know, remodeled is because their corporate owns all the real estate and they lease it to the operators. Uh, so there's a lot, you know, I would say actually um, a landlord to a, a, a lessee has a, a better ability to enforce demands than a franchisor to franchisee. Uh, so Mc, McDonald's, because that yes, they're a franchisor to a franchisee, they have a lot of, uh, you know, that's, that's great, but that's the same relationship that we have with Shell. But what McDonald's has over their stores that Shell doesn't have over us is that McDonald's is also the landlord. And there's a lot of strength there. Uh, and the, you know, lessees must abide uh, by what, what's commanded by their landlords. Yeah, there's that famous quote, McDonald's is a, is a real estate company that sells hamburgers. <laughs> that's a great way to say it. Yeah. I mean, um, Shell does not own any of the real estate that we are on, right? So in another way, that's hands off, right? It's a, it's a mutually beneficial relationship because obviously they sell their oils and we get to operate. Um, you know, that is it's good for both of us, but there's a closer relationship between a lot of franchisors and franchisees for other models. All right. So we're going to move on to our next section, the last section of the podcast today, and that is the rapid fire questions. We're going to ask our guests the same five questions every episode. And they only have a short time to answer. So, EG, are you ready? I'm ready. Bring it on. What is the one habit that most contributes to your success? I wouldn't call myself successful yet, but uh, the habit that I want to be successful with, um, you know, I already touched on the ruthless, ruthlessly pragmatic. That's been nice. Uh, but I would say, you know, passion. I know it sounds cliche, uh, but my passion has gotten me in trouble a lot when I uh, was just starting off my career. Because turns out a lot of people just go to work and it's their job. Uh, when I, when I go to work on something, I'm so passionate about it that I don't accept mediocrity and there can definitely be tension, uh, when, you know, I, it's either, you know, succeed or, or concede, I guess. Right. Uh, and if other people around me are okay with mediocrity, you know, there's definitely been some tension in the room. So ruthless pragmatism and passion dinner with three people dead or alive. Richard Feynman, his book, Autobiography, Surely You're Joking, Mr. Feynman, highly recommend. Uh, he worked with Einstein on the Manhattan Project. He's a physicist, uh, brilliant guy, but also in the same fashion of uh, Matthew McConaughey, he, he knew how to enjoy his life. We'll say that. I would Second one, I would say Alexander Hamilton. Uh, I think his story is great. Obviously, if you've seen the play uh, or the musical, it's, uh, mm -hmm. you'll learn a lot from that, but I think his story is phenomenal. Uh, self, you know, the first self-made American. Uh, and then lastly, I am reading uh, or listening to Elon Musk's biography. And once again, Elon's probably the most cliche answer you can say here. But on that, I would say his view towards his businesses is, is more unique than most business owners. He is looking at how can we advance humanity 
uh, into the future. You know, that's really exciting. Yeah, it's not about short-term profits for Elon, as we can. No, I mean, he, he, constant <laughs> quarterly reports. If you had a million dollars to invest anywhere, where would it be? Well, there's this one idea I have. No one take it, or if you're going to do it, at least call me, and we'll do it together. Um, it's a philanthropic venture that's in mentorship and education through a income share agreement, a private income share agreement. You'll have to Google income share agreements, what they are. It's a way of funding uh, education. And I think that that can be used, uh, one, in, in a way to make money, and two, in a way that uh, helps society. Great. And what is the top skill you look for in your team? I would say I want someone that's just as passionate as me in that way. You know, How about ruthlessly pragmatic or, or do you, are you good on the pragmatism? Maybe I can be the ruthlessly pragmatic one and maybe I need someone with a little more optimism. No, but my answer to the top, top skills uh, for people around me, um, you know, passion and, and a curiosity, uh, an eagerness to learn, you know, someone that has got to uh, explore why things work and how to do things better. And what are your competitors' greatest opportunities? Yeah, I would say looking at my uh, two closest competitors, which I will not name and I will not give them some airtime, but <laughs> I would say that they are pretty, you know, they're newer to the game. So they're a little more advanced in their technologies in uh, store operations and on the marketing side. You know, they're pretty, pretty up to date on that, on that uh, technology side. Well, EJ, thanks for, so much for, for joining us on the show today. It's been great to have you on, great to catch up. Uh, and we'll, uh, I'm sure we'll talk shortly. Yeah, thank you, EJ. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Great. Well, um, thank you again to EJ Williams for uh, coming out and uh, talking with us today. We uh, heard a little bit about the franchise model, what it takes to be a business owner and how uh, a journey through many different careers can eventually lead you to where you're supposed to be. So thank you again to EJ. And if you like the show today, visit growthtoexit.com and shieldslegal.com for more information. Follow us on all of our social media channels for relevant business content. And in the mindset of what we just discussed, if you'd like to collaborate or discuss topics in more detail with EJ, we'll include his email in the show notes. Uh, so feel free to reach out. He, uh, he loves networking. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. Yep. Good to have you on.